This is the Property Solopreneur Podcast, and I'm Rachel Troughton. I'll be talking about everything you need to create wealth by building your portfolio in a sustainable and profitable way. I'll be sharing the realities of a property investing business. I'll talk bricks and mortar, buy to let, HMOs, flipping and planning game, as that's what we all enjoy doing. But I'll also share how to use good systems, processes, and find the right professionals to work with. In fact, everything that will enable you to become a successful property solopreneur. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Property Solopreneur. And this week, I'm talking with my friend Peter Mayer. We're going to delve deeper into the whole subject of joint ventures. Peter loves doing joint ventures. It's enabled him to make, now in his words, chunky money without having to use a penny of his own, which is an ideal situation for most of us in property. That's the you know the holy golden grail, isn't it? And because he's got amazing processes in place, he could do multiples all at once. It's allowed him to scale. He's very open about the importance of investing in yourself. And he spent a lot of time and effort seeking out the best education he could in the areas that he needed, because he could see that here was an amazing opportunity to make both him and others a great deal of money. Before he got into joint ventures, he had done like so many others before him. He'd remortgaged his family home. He had bought a buy to let. He'd done an HMO. He'd got the basic principles, but then he needed to find a technique that would basically rocket propel him. And joint ventures is that technique that's done that for him. He's also extremely good, unlike many of us, at, at knowing exactly what his strengths and weaknesses are. You know, his strength is in analytics. So he is very, very good on the numbers and the timelines and exactly what needs to be done. And he's also great at knowing what his weaknesses are. So he outsources those to his wife and she does the creative and the admin and all that sort of thing. A perfect JV in itself, isn't it? Well, they're both solopreneurs in their own right, but they do team up to work together for Keys to Doors. Peter, as you can imagine, could talk about JVs all day, but we only had half an hour. But he has packed a lot of nuggets into our chat. And if you want more, follow the links in the show notes to his website and you'll see lots of case studies. Joint ventures. If you have only ever heard the theory, have a listen to Peter this morning. He lives and breathes them and he just can't imagine doing property without them. Peter, hello. Thank you so much for coming and talking to me today about joint ventures. Joint ventures, along with being able to borrow money from people are the two ways I think you can super turbocharge your property journey and income. And it, joint ventures is something that many, many people are absolutely terrified about because there are so many sort of moving parts. A, you've got to work with someone. And if you're a solopreneur, that's scary. But secondly, of course, it's licensed. But actually, it's there's all that education, everything around it. But you have absolutely nailed it. You love doing joint ventures. And I'd love it if you could just take us back to that very first time when, why did you need to do it and how did you start? I remember our first joint venture. It was a matter of just finding the right deal, first of all. So we looked at so many properties and we got to analyze them. So I've got my calculators and I analyzed them and see when there is enough fat in the deal. But once a person have 
found a deal with enough fat, what you then do is you find an investor that you can do it with. Um, so in the meantime, while I was looking for the properties, it was uh, a matter of uh, speaking with the investors, getting them to be familiar with how it will all work. And then once we found it, we just went for it. This was a really exciting deal because it was bought pre-auction. And uh, we did it with the investor and they came out with the viewings and all exciting because of all the negotiations beforehand. We were pretty confident of the end value. So we knew how much it's going to cost to refurb and we just had the confidence to go for it. Well, that was, uh, may I say, pretty ballsy, really. First one off, you know, not only was it a, a, your first JV, but it was an auction, pre-auction sort of deal as well. That really would have put off so many people. But you were able to do that because you knew what you were doing. You always find out everything because that is your mindset, isn't it? You are very methodical, structured, process-driven. You knew exactly what you were doing. And that didn't happen by chance, did it? You had to find out all this stuff. How did you do that? I'm the kind of person that will listen to a lot of podcasts and books. Like I listen to all your podcasts, Rachel. <laughs> I get so much value from it. And being an analytical person, I need a lot of data. Uh, I also need a lot of good ideas. You are very creative, so you always feed me with awesome ideas. And what, I, what I'm trying to show is that by collating all this data, having the opportunity to analyze everything, it gets me to see how it should work, put the processes and systems around something, and then it's just a matter of implementing and every time learning from it and improving it. Absolutely. And that we'll come on to that bit later because I know you're very good at that. But most people find joint ventures very scary because it's licensed, isn't it? The FCA ha have uh, rules and regulations. And so you've got to approach your investor in a very set way and you've got to take them through the whole of 13.3. How do you stop that being a burden or, or a hindrance? Because clearly it doesn't worry you at all. Uh, a person has to speak with your investor in so many different ways. First of all, it has to be friendly, relationship, enjoying each other's company. The second thing is, it has to be a matter of educating each other to exactly know how it means. But then there is also the formal matters that a person have to address. Some of them are legal in nature. One of them being PS 13.3, something that the Financial Service Authority brought in to make sure that ordinary retail investors are kept safe. So this is where Part of my role is to have this conversation with the investors, exactly teach them how PS 13.3 goes, but also to make sure that they qualify for it. So that's usually where you have to either do the high net worth, be a high net worth investor, sophisticated investor, buy through company. And then there's a bunch of documents that we fill out together where people comply in a sense. Absolutely. And that, that is something, particularly with your repeat customers, that you have to do every year, don't you? Because people's circumstances change. That's right. And again, just by the systematic way that we do it, we've got these reminders set up to, to have that meeting again. Uh, we are big fans of doing multiple projects of investors. I think by my nature of not wanting to work with many, many, many people, rather with quality people, therefore have to go right in both a legal sense, but also keep that relationship building, building. Absolutely. And that, that again, is something that many people find quite difficult because they view the fact that if something goes slightly wobbly or they've had to, you know, it hasn't gone according to plan, they think, would well, it be a lot easier just to ditch this JV partner and move on to another? Whereas, in fact, you don't. You know, you'd rather repair a problem, talk it through and then go again because 
That makes so much sense, doesn't it? I believe that each of us are different and you need to get to know your strengths. Uh, Some people are excellent in dealing with lots of people and uh, they be really good in being the center of the party, in a sense. I'm exactly the opposite. For me, it's all about the quality relationships, really get to know each other. And then we can learn from each other best. Because for me, it's equal. It's an equal partnership. So. Both parties bring a lot to the table, and I have to see myself as being very open to also learn from them. Quite often, these people are very smart and educated in 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 their line of work, and they've got so many attributes that they can bring to the table. Yes, and because JVs, it's not a it's a blanket term, and it covers so many things, doesn't it? Because I did an earlier podcast on it, and and I said that there's the straightforward when, in fact, JV partner has very little to do with it. They are just a funding partner. Now there are those who love that; they really don't want to know the ins and outs of it. Uh, I had one. I I often had those. You know, I had to ring up somebody on. The second day and go could you give me 200 you know 22,000 pounds worth of money extra please today because we need more concrete a bit of a problem and they just went yeah where do I send it now that's my ideal of a, a JV partner I couldn't do with the ones who go that's great Peter but I want to learn as well as you know I don't just want to be the funding partner I want to learn now I you've got quite a reputation for having had some epic ones like that, where everyone's enjoyed themselves enormously and you've overcome quite large obstacles sometimes. Do you enjoy that? Is that something you really love? Oh, very much, Rachel. You're right. Uh, Investors is a spectrum. You definitely get those. They want to be hands-off. They want just good communication, the updates and so forth. But then you've got the other side of the spectrum where they very much want to get involved and they want to learn. And we've had a few joint venture partners that's gone. Actually, every single one of the joint venture partners we have done, they've gone on to do deals themselves. And this is what they set out to. They want to learn from somebody like myself and then see how it gets done and then go off and do it themselves. But they are so much fun, especially if I speak about this, the, the spectrum, the fun side of the spectrum. I remember going, we, we were meeting on a weekly basis on site, bring the dogs. It was usually on a Sunday, <laughs> go through the site, see what it's up to, get each other's ideas. And then we go for a nice walk together, have some lunch in a pub. So it it, it can be wonderful. Absolutely. And that that's a very personal JV. And um, you know, yeah, that's what makes this actually quite an exciting technique, isn't it? Because it's not just black and white. You can make it what you like. And one of the things that I know that you particularly like is the bit before the work starts when you've got to look at the building and decide what you're going to do with it. Now, you don't just go, this is what we're going to do, do you? Uh, That's right, Rachel. In actual fact, I think that the more work a person do at the beginning, the more it will save you and the better the project will run. So it's very much a matter of getting everything ready, flushing out all the thoughts. And uh, for example, one of the things that we do is before we even start to work, we meet up with the investor and I pull up floor planner where I've already pre-drawn the layout configuration. And then we have a play together. We go room by room and decide where how we should make the most out of each room. And this is where everybody can bring their ideas to the table and just make the best possible project specification. And then it's a matter of passing it on to the builder and they can just build it out. It saves you a lot of money by not having to make alterations where maybe an investor comes in the middle of the project and say that they would like something different. So it's all through our 
practices. Having done it a few times, we kind of know how it works best. Absolutely. So I think people are very keen the moment they get the keys to, they feel they have to be in there straight away, straight away. But actually sometimes just that holding off a little bit so that you get, as you say, the floor plan totally nailed down, the spec completely nailed down so that you don't get those three most expensive words on a, you know, on a project, which is, could you just when you suddenly throw out all your previous ideas and start again. So you know how what you're going to do. You presumably have a Gantt chart or something like that, which you can all see the progression going along. So you know where you are. We do a builder pack. We like to call, call it this term. It's got your finishing specification on it. It's got the whole project detail out the schedule of works. We've got our Gantt chart on there. Even the quantities are calculated. Your floor plans, the designs are there. You've got links so that the builder can exactly pass it on to their electrician plumber and they can exactly see where everything should go. And then we've got valuations. So through the project, we meet up and determine the amount of money to be paid. So by having this systematic approach, it just keeps everybody safe. It helps the builder with their cash flow. It makes sure that the projects are ran efficiently. Of course, loads of room for improvement that we learn so much from each one. That's why we create a template, a builder pack template. Take the learnings after we have done the project, sit down, learn, get the feedback from the investor, how their experience was, and then make the necessary changes in our template so that we are even better for the next one. I think that's so important. And I think what you've highlighted there is something that is missing on a lot of people's approach to property and that this is actually a business and it's a money-making business. And with any kind of business, you can make a loss as well as a profit. Therefore, you you are duty-bound if you are a business person to do everything in your power to make it work. And that is what you're doing. Whereas Quite often at property meets, you hear the the phrase I hate most, which is, oh, I'm very passionate about property. No, you're not. You're passionate about the money you can make out of property. Totally different thing. Um, And that you have worked out and you are happy to work with people who get that and actually enjoy the fact that whatever it is you've done with this building, it's totally professional. Every single working part works to the full degree, doesn't it? I mean, even when you said there that the the builder was safe. Really important. Everyone overlooks that point, don't they? Because you're if he goes wrong, you're snookered, aren't you? That's right, Rachel. It's so much about creating win 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 situations. And what you have to do is you have to you have to present yourself to the investor in a certain way. You have to present yourself to a builder in a certain way, the estate agent in a certain way. And it's that flexible approach and that ability to work with multiple different people. It's very much like a business where, like when I was an operations manager previously in fast food industry, this is where I absolutely learned that. So that's why it's so advantageous for coming from a corporate background because a person learns so many of those skills. I remember still learning when I was working in Pizza Hut with young brands, how they were teaching me those things such as customer service quality, product quality, those things that just filters through. So that's why I think you should lean on your experiences, what you are good at, and uh, create systems where everybody's kept safe and the person just make the most out of the project. Yes, because quite often people in property can come across as it being all about me, all about me, but not about the other person. Now, if you're doing a joint venture, it has got to be both ways, hasn't it? You know, you've got to feel comfortable because, of course, that person, if it all goes wrong or they don't enjoy working with you, they've got a mouth. 
they can let people know that it wasn't a good experience. I've never heard a bad word against you. People love working with you. But that actually comes back to your choices about who you work with, doesn't it? And that, again, I think is really important for people who are just starting out in JV work to realise this isn't a short gap solution. They've just got to understand their personalities and who they've got to work best with. Because as you say, you're not an emotional person. You really won't get hysterical about whether there are roses over the door, the colour of the paint, that kind of thing. You'd like to look at the money. Luckily, you have Monica, who we've not spoken about yet, who's your wife. She is on the creative side, isn't she? So she can input that because I know that you don't just whitewash the walls, close the door at the end of the build and hand the keys over to the estate agent. It's a total package to make sure that it's really, really desirable, isn't it? And that's what she does. Oh, Rachel, it's uh, it's so funny the way that me and her, uh, how, how we think differently. I'm just so practical. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I, for example, I, I love a lazy boy couch and um, it's so practical. You can put your cup, you can relax, kick up, but she won't like it at all because it's, she thinks in a design kind of way. It doesn't fit in with everything. So we've got this logical way of thinking and this design way of thinking. So I know when it comes to certifix, this is Monica's job. It's not something that I need to make decision on. It's for her. It's got to do with design. And what she will do is she will, uh, I see it as really putting the cherry on the cake, knowing the, the trends and knowing the retail market, what will be appealing. So when you sell it, you just get that extra 10, 15, 20,000 pounds. It's just amazing. That's where she comes in and she styles it all up, do the interior design and really optimize the deal. Thankfully, I've got somebody like Monica working with us because if it was left to me, I don't know what the person, it will just be all black and white and <laughs> uh, very yes. practical. And of course, that is the part of working in property is realizing one's own shortfalls um, and to know that working with someone like Monica is essential to get that extra bit of money out of everything. And that's, again, is all planned up ahead of time. But can you talk me through sort of the numbers that you can achieve? Because I think one of the points I always bring out with people is that some of your joint ventures would have been quite hard to do if you'd gone out just looking for the money. It was more than perhaps you'd have been felt comfortable with just borrowing off one person. So tell me the sort of numbers that you do. We've talked earlier about a low value one. What is the top end value sort of thing that you do? Yeah, we've got, uh, we've done some low value deals. We've got some high value deals and some medium ones. So we know our spectrum on the higher value side of things. We bought this four bedroom semi detached in Sheffield. This was uh, the pre auction offer. It was, uh, outdated and we bought it for 235 we spent 55 on it and end up selling it for 375 so that was a really nice chunky 60,000 pound profit that's a return of 21% in just a couple of months of work so you could just imagine if you can do that a few times the only downside if you go too high in value is that then your plan b becomes tougher and it's the opposite with lower value then the plan Bs are excellent, but you do the same amount of work. So that's why 
I believe that there's the sweet spot in the middle for joint ventures. I was going to say, yes, you don't you don't necessarily always want to be churning out the low value ones, even though when they rent out, because with the best one in the world, a joint venture, you want an in and an out, don't you? You want to be able to realise those funds. You don't want to spend the next 20 years being married to all sorts of different people financially. You want to be able to sell out and get your funds back. And one or two people may be going, well, you know... Divide that profit by two, that's not much. I'd rather do it, go alone. But as you say, this isn't something you do once a year, is it? You do it lots of times. And you have more than one project on the go, don't you? I think that's the awesome thing about joint ventures is because there's not really a limit to how much you can do. It's really down to your capacity. It's absolutely fine to do one and then the next one, but others being more organized. Uh, like, for example, us, we like to do three or four deals at the same time. So you can just see how a person can do a deal, a few deals, make the chunky income, and you can do it. You can flip with the same investor maybe twice in a year. So that's really great. The other good thing about this is that if you're not constantly having to find the next investor, this gives you more time to find more deals that are going to really work for you. So it all comes down to controlling your time, doesn't it? Knowing what's going to work best for you, not snatching at any old idea that goes past. It is very focused. You have a long-term strategy, don't you? You know where you're going to be when you finish doing property. Where's that? It is uh, something that both you and Susanna Cole taught me is the importance of business planning and, you know, your pestle where you look at all the various factors. You need to think of property in so many different ways, both short term, mid term, long term. That strategic thinking is so important. It's also so motivational to have a long term goal. Yes. A place where a person wants to end up. And it also helps with the short term decision making if you know where you want to end up. So, that's why for us, we just want to get ourselves safe, first of all. So it was all just about covering our expenses, having property pay for our personal expenses as well as the company expenses. But ultimately, we would like a, a really nice life, maybe owning something abroad, something like Costa Rica. We've got this dream of having a farm over there and doing a bit of a back and forth, maybe skipping the winters over here. And this is <laughs> what? the awesome you don't like thing. our winters? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Having grown up in South Africa, it's a bit hard work. Uh, <laughs> you, you quite miss the sun. <laughs> but that is absolutely right. It is all about having a long-term goal and having a strategy. And when you set out, because as you say, you came from a corporate background, as did Monica. People often think that people going into property have done it because they can't make good money elsewhere. But that's not true, is it? You both had very good careers, but you could just see the advantages and the fun of both being solopreneurs. Are you enjoying it as much as you thought you were going to? We enjoy it tremendously. We are so happy with the life right now. Um, I didn't know really that this world exists. I always thought that just work your way up the career and try to get as far as you can, as high as you can, and then you will be able to afford a nice house and cars and so. But it was until I read this little book on one of a uh, the few weeks that a person can get on holiday, reach that poor that. And it just opened me up to this new world of entrepreneurship. Just a light bulb moment, absolutely. And that just, uh, that completely altered our direction. We 
slowly uh, started investing in property. Monica went full-time into property. I had to still work in the corporate world to be able to pay our expenses. But it was just that gradual shift over up to the point where I can also now be full-time into property. And it's so lovely because I can take the dogs for a walk in the middle of the day if I want to. If I want to take a Wednesday afternoon off, I can do so. It's just those freedoms that it opens up. So worthwhile to do. It is. But you you have to have discipline, don't you? You have to have your plan and then you actually have to do the work. And this is what I think many people find quite extraordinary is that they see the, the lifestyle and everything around it and they don't realise that actually it is about being in your own home, making yourself a coffee and then going straight into the same mindset you would have had if you were working in corporate identity. You know, you've got to hold yourself to account. Do you give yourself sort of KPIs and that sort of thing? I couldn't believe what an adjustment it was. It sounds so easy. Go Just go work for yourself. But it was actually extremely difficult. And I'm still optimizing that. Having only left the corporate world for the last year, where you basically get told how you should behave, what you should do, you get given your tasks. So you have to do that now for yourself. And uh, what I do is I create myself a habit tracker. So at certain times I have to do something and I I record it. So I can exactly tell you how many hours a week I walk the dogs, how many cups of coffee I drink. Just to bring in that discipline, I have to start certain things at certain times. And you have to almost reborn in in a sense, if I can explain it in this way, to get that discipline up. But um, very much it's, uh, it's, so rewarding. I wouldn't want to change it for the world, to be honest. <laughs> Absolutely. And it is quite funny. It's what, one of the things that military people find quite easy to understand is that in order to be able to succeed on a on a battlefield, you've got to have done an awful lot of exercises so that in the dark, you can put your hand on your weapon straight away. You don't have to think about it. It's like driving. You can do everything instinctively. And I think that is something that most bit solopreneurs, when they start, don't realise that they've got to do the same thing. It is about the basics that you do every day, which are the same that you don't actually think about. And if you do that, then the fun stuff, which is what we make our money doing, then becomes easy and all consuming because the rest of it all just happens around the outside. Now, I know you you do have a network of people who support you. So talk us through who you have in the bigger team. I you know, you, you have an accountant, for instance. Yeah, you are so right, Rachel. I like your military assessment because it's very much like that. And uh, just having those disciplines in place, it goes a long way. But uh, I think also um, with property, it's very much delayed gratification. A person puts so much effort in and you only see the results later. And I see so many people quit before they start to see the results. Yes. A person has to be creative when it comes to your team, when you're a solopreneur, I think. So that's why it's not necessarily everybody that you recruit. I see my lawyer as part of my team. I see my accountant as part of my team. I've got a virtual assistant bookkeeper. I even see my joint venture partners as part of the team. And we've got handymen. We've got all our build teams. It's all a team effort. And it is for me to, to, to drive that, to be the leader within our business and to, to make everybody work together, to lean on the professionals, to lean on the men, on, on your mentor and so forth. Absolutely. One of the, one of the things that I, I know you, you very much see working both with your team and with your joint venture partners as you conducting, don't you? You're the conductor. 
you're just keeping everybody absolutely on the bit, to use a horsey expression, and performing the best of their abilities. And when they do that, everyone makes money. This is my definition of being an entrepreneur. Is the person that stands in the middle, almost like the conductor in an orchestra. So he just waves his wand, connects the dots. I see a deal. I see an investor with funds. I see a builder. I can connect those dots. And it is for me, with my knowledge, my dedication in uh, educating myself, that enables me to, to fulfill this role. I love it. It's so nice to make the deals, make the things happen, and and create this opportunity to add value Add value to the properties, add value to your builders, to your investors, and a great place for people to live. It's it's just awesome. It is. And, and I think one of the things you've just put your finger on there is this ability to realise that you have to educate yourself and to invest in yourself because you're constantly learning, aren't you? So, you know, you didn't just go to one person, sit have a few lessons, meet a few people and think, way, I, I now know everything there is to know. You're constantly moving with you know, new ideas, new build teams, and you still go to networking, for instance, don't you? I mean, now some people think, well, I'm too big for that. You still enjoy interacting with other property people. As it goes on, the more I learn, the more I realise how much I don't know. And I very much have an, an attitude to learn. I'm so open to feedback and I want to be as humble as I can to realize my mistakes and to go away and learn from them. And uh, an interesting story is that for the first 35 years of my life, I read less than 10 books. Now I read about 15 to 20 books a year. And um, I just really r recognize the value in having knowledge. Yes, I think one of the things that you really understand is you, you, if you want to really succeed, part of the effort you put into being a solopreneur is learning stuff, isn't it? Because as you pointed out earlier, all of us who've come from corporate or had a job before, most of us hopefully have had a job for somebody at some point, it can't prepare you for everything you've got to know. And you've got to be humble enough to realise that if you want to succeed, you've got to find out what you don't know and then go and learn it, which does make a difference. You're a great believer in making your own luck. Uh, like Gary Player, fellow South African, said, the more you practice, the luckier you get. Uh, so so that's that's maybe maybe something I believe in. I think it is, absolutely. W one of the things that I hear people worry about is that they are late to the party. You know, everyone else has done JVs. Everyone else has been borrowing money. There can't be any more investors out there who they can play with. Is is that a true idea? I can't believe how much money is out there, first of all. And, and I'm sure I'm still even underestimating it. There are so many people who have worked hard, they've saved their money, but they don't know how to best invest it. And what we can do is we can come in and we can offer them this great opportunity to work with us to invest their funds and make their money make money. So many people don't do that. So this is something awesome that you can offer people. There are many, many opportunities. I definitely don't see a lack of opportunities out there. It has been constant over the years, and I think that the fundamentals are there. 
for property business to be successful both now and in the future. I don't really see a big risk to that. No, because the market moves. So some people move out, some people move in. You know, I've been in this, what, over 20 years now. And it's a cry that I hear constantly, which is, I'm I'm late to the party. Well, I thought I was late to the party 20 years ago. So there's always a new influx of different ways of doing things. And of course, the government give us new rules and regulations, which just mean we have to start again and, and make sure we know what we're doing. But one of the things that always worries most people, which I you've touched on, is how do you actually find your properties to begin with? Are you someone who spends every evening on Rightmove, you know, our, our great fund of property porn? Or are you someone who says, no, don't worry about that. I go straight to the horse's mouth. Auction houses or estate agents. What do you do? My approach is to, we started broad, first looking at what areas we should invest in, just started to view properties, start to analyze properties. So this was way in the beginning, just a practice, practice, practice. And you start to see what works and what don't work. So then you start to refine your processes in finding a certain type of property that in a certain area that you notice will work really well. Very popular area and the houses tend to, to, to go really quickly and for top money. A person focus on that area. You set up things such as your right move alerts. You work with other people, other sources to, to help you to find the deals. And um, just through time, you keep refining, keep refining your processes and then they will start to drop. But I have to be honest, it takes a lot of work. It is very much a numbers game, in my opinion. You do get better over time. You can spot them and uh, you also get to recognize certain things that you may not be familiar with. For example, one of our deals, they were advertising the property for 95000 But my numbers, it only stacked at 71000 So you may say, there's no way, this one doesn't stack. But if you put in the offers, you never know. And this is what I realized. Some purchase price means nothing. You can you can negotiate way down, but it's also possible to for a deal to be over purchase price. There was one, 225, and we bought it for 235. That's probably had one or two people go, whoa, sorry. Did did Peter just say he bought a property for over the asking price? The answer is yes, isn't it? Sometimes that's what's required, but you've got to have the knowledge and experience behind you before you start doing that. And practice, as you say, is absolutely vital. And so that's how you get the deals. The selling out, do you use the same agents or do you have, you know, your? there are some agents, do you think, who are just so much better at selling a property than, than buying it through? If a person go on many viewings when you find properties, you find that those agents, which are just so good in selling you, you can see they've got the skills to exactly tell you about the property. And so we spot these agents and we save their numbers. So when it comes to selling, it's them that we go to because they are excellent in advertising the property. So what you're basically saying is forget, again, the emotions. It is every single part of a property deal from investor right the way through to selling it. It's all about skill. And so if you want to be your best conductor, you've got to have the people with the right skills and they will then perform really well for you. So you so you can relax to a certain degree. Yes, you're you're chasing and you're doing, but you're not worried about what they're actually doing. And that brings me back to builders who are the linchpin of this whole thing, aren't they? Builders terrify the life out of people who've never worked with builders. Now, you know, your background is not in 100 percent construction, is it? 
So what did you do to learn or to educate yourself about building and, and builders per se? Because they are an odd breed, aren't they? Uh, they sure are, Rachel. But there, I've learned that there's a few things that a person can do to mitigate it. Once again, it's uh, each person have a set of skills and you have learned what worked for you in the past. Uh, one of them is that I had to do loads of recruitment. Oh. So I know, uh, and that's a skill that I brought across. So when I find builders, it's very much like a recruitment process. So I will check certain things, expect them to have certain things in place, and this just rules out those worst ones until you find the absolute best ones. I think that, once again, referring to my builder pack, by having coming across to a builder that you are somebody that are organized, that will not cost them a lot of time and money, really helps as well. But... It is a struggle. It is difficult. It requires a lot of effort, but completely possible. We've worked with some lovely build teams that has produced some wonderful projects for us. Yes. And I think people forget that actually, I mean, I have been to a network meeting where someone at the front stood up and said, you have got to screw the builders down there. You know, they are there just to facilitate and everything else. I think he went bust shortly afterwards. But anyway, mm -hmm. that is the impression that some people get. And actually, the better you can communicate with your builders and get them weeded out a bit like investors beforehand, the smoother things will be. And that is making sure that they've got the right paperwork, insurance, but even down to the fact they have all the right stuff that will interact with your accounting systems and CRS and everything else, isn't it? And CIS. So there's lots of different things that you do have to be on the ball about. Yeah, it's where the education comes in to understand exactly what is what is required. But uh, for sure, um, for sure, a person can uh, tackle this in a couple of different ways. You You can build your team of builders and you can multiple transact with the same builders and do many successful projects together. And it's also the other side where a person can do frequent recruitment of builders, find the gems out there through referrals and and uh, placing the adverts. I, I found builders from placing adverts uh, through my builder rated people and uh, it has been successful. Ah, a bit of proactive there, as opposed to just always sitting in the B&Q car park, which I was a great fan of, taking the, you know, photographing the side of the van and then going and finding their sites. You know, very few people are actually proactive and, and actively go out and recruit. I, I like that a lot. So there we are. I've learned something today. Absolutely. Now, Peter, how do people find you? Because I love the name of your company, which is Keys the Doors, isn't it? And it's got a great logo. How do people find you and learn more about you? Uh, Keys to Doors. So the thinking behind it is that we want to open, it's keys for investors to open the doors to their goals and their dreams. It's got multiple meanings. It's, it's also, uh, we've got lettings as well. So that's kind of a nice play on that sense. But of course, also for ourselves, this is the vehicle that will get us to where we want to be. So that's where the name keys to doors come from. And I very much encourage everybody that's interested to and want to learn more to go onto our website, keystodoors.co.uk. We've got some really nice case studies over there. There is also a contact section where you can find my phone number and my email address. And it would be really great to get in touch and uh, speak more about it. Um, I really love to teach people. Uh, my mother was a teacher for 40 years. I, I'm very open to sharing 
a lot of things. You are indeed. I, I, I know you are. Up. And I've, I know that for those who are hopeless, uh, you're listening uh, perhaps somewhere where you haven't got a pencil and paper, don't worry because uh, your contact details will be in the show notes uh, at, at the end of this, which is quite easy to see. So people will be able to find you. And I know that you're a great fan of doing little videos and things on you know Instagram and things like that. So for the more visual amongst us, we can go and see because you had a floating en suite or something last week, didn't you? Oh, that floating on suite. Yeah, that's quite an interesting one. And we've posted a picture of it on Instagram. It's quite something to see. And that happens when a floor is not too standard and you need to dig it out and put a new insulated hard floor down. And uh, that's why I always say get a dampened timber report. They're 200 pounds, but definitely worthwhile getting it because you don't want to get do floating on suites and deal with such things later on. Uh, <laughs> as we all make mistakes and we make the learnings, you know. Absolutely. It did look as if it was floating and, and you it, quite a long way down. How far down did you actually have to dig down? How many feet? Yeah, uh, 500 millimeters to be able to get all the different layers of MOT, sand, your insulation board, visqueen screen, uh, your pad and your screen. Absolutely. I, I deal with quite a lot of old buildings. And when you start to take the floor up, you realize there aren't any foundations. And then you have to dig down and you do the foundations and you have to prop up the building whilst you're actually working on it, which the first time you do it, you do just sort of go, oh, I don't think I'm ever going to go to sleep till this project is finished. But after a while, you realize I said, everyone knows what they're doing and it's fantastic. Well, Peter, I hope, I'm sure we've really encouraged more people to do joint ventures today on both sides because everyone always, always fixates on our side, you know, the, the property professional side. But actually, there are many people in the property world who may not like the actual doing bit of it, although they thought they were going to. This is a really good way of being able to do property, isn't it, without getting your hands dirty? As I've mentioned previously, every single one of our joint venture partners has gone on to do projects themselves. This has showed them how to do it and given them the confidence. So, yes, it can seem like there's a lot to it, and there, there are. But once a person team up with somebody that has done it before, take their processes and their systems, which I happily share with people, and then go off and do it yourself. I think it's wonderful. Yes. And then people like my joint venture partner has never done property. Can't think of anything worse but loves the profits that you can get through doing property. So we'll happily go on loaning money out time and time again. So, and they came to property thinking they were going to do it. Honestly, they went to lots of networking with me going, yeah, this is fantastic. I'm going to be doing it. But the first time they were on site realised that this wasn't for them. But they love and and there's not, it shouldn't be knocked. They get the fun through sitting at dinner parties going, ah, oh, yes, I've got a build. No, they're funding the build, but that doesn't really come out in the wash. But, you know, they, they get as much fun out of it as we do, really. So we really shouldn't ma shouldn't worry about how you do it. But to sum it up, joint ventures, if you hadn't have done them, would you be where you are today? Definitely not. I would have run out of money and my it would have taken many more years. It's so nice for chunky money to come in. It's also so much pleasure to work with other people. Yeah, re really a big fan of them. Well, I think I'll stop there because that, that's such a wonderful recommendation. Thank you, Peter. That was absolutely super. And I'm sure lots of nuggets will be scribbled down all over the country now when people listen to this. Thank you. Really appreciate it, Rachel. Thank you for listening to the Property Solopreneur podcast with Rachel Troughton. 
If you want to create a professional and profitable property business, download my property business checklist now at racheltroughton.com slash checklist. <laughs>